You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty-one years of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pupka. I just threw that forty-one in there to uh, to get you a little bit unsettled. Rabbi Pupko, we've missed you. You have been away for a number of weeks, and listeners have texted me, emailed me, and said, "Where is Pupko? I need my Pupko fix." Um, so I believe I, that was trending on Twitter. Where's Pupko? It was. Yes, yes. Where is he? Uh, and, uh, and 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 people did, I think, spot you in various ways. And uh, the well, conference. I was in deep consultations with Andrew Cuomo trying to navigate his political yes. crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, you definitely advised him well to uh, to deny and deny, and you know, uh, well. to to go down in a. Uh, in a uh, like like a comet being uh, shot down by something from Independence Day was that a meteor? What was it that they? What was it? Or was that a Independence Day? Was aliens? Oh, aliens! What was the other one where it was a meteor? meteor. Was what was that called? That was Bruce Willis. Yeah, there's another one where the world was going to going yeah, to be meteor. destroyed, and, and there was something. So, like, like, I think Cuomo definitely, uh, you know, he he definitely. Uh, exploded <laughs> as he reached the atmosphere thanks for i'm sure he, he he thanks you for your advice isn't cuomo doesn't cuomo have like a jewish did he have a jewish wife for some while or jewish no, he was married to a kennedy uh-huh he had no connection to he was not he was not connected to well jewish, he's governor you know? of the state of new york which is makes you practically jewish yeah right right and he definitely no, but uh, listen i mean the, the, you know I, I thought what was most comical about the whole thing because much of it isn't comical for the poor women who were victimized by this guy but the comical part was people sitting on the uh, on the board of Times Up or of uh, the, uh, the the gay rights movement who were involved in helping him navigate this crisis and are now embarrassed. Uh, Roberta Kaplan had to resign. So, in other words, how many people who are ostensibly at the forefront of movements that would you know that that were created you know to uh, to be in opposition to his kind of behavior, you know, because of political connections and and yeah. whatever uh ended up trying to help him and uh and are now embarrassed by that yeah, well, you know i i guess you know we didn't want to talk about coma why maybe there should be a reckoning and all the like there's always this great racial reckoning why shouldn't there be a reckoning for all the people that were pushing Cuomo and and, and keeping him propped up well there's no question that he was the anti-trump during COVID. that's what i mean the new york yeah. times and everyone who yeah. looked at him and, and 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 basically overlooked all his um his i mean sin. listen Back in 2014, it was, he disbanded the Moreland Commission, which was investigating the corruption in his own office, which led to indictments, not him, but others in his office. I mean, he got away with that. It was revealed for the first time last week that he called the uh, the attorney general during the Obama administration to try to get them to get the investigation uh, stopped. And, uh, and then what he did with the nursing homes, the fudging of the numbers, the uh the 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 completely right, reckless and, right. And, you know, you know uh, janice janice dean who is the fox uh news analyst or feature writer who's the one who pushed of course and she knew i mean she she said she knew this was much they're both egregious but it it, it took um you know these women coming forward for people to be in outrage over all the people that died 
you know, and, and all, you know, again, Trump was painted as the murderer of so many people, you know, and Cuomo, everybody was standing up for him and talking about him as a possible presidential right. candidate. Right. No, he had national aspirations and he was being touted as a national candidate. And the reality is, look at the numbers of the nursing homes based on, you know, with his directives, how much he tried to cover it up afterwards. He was moving people with COVID out of hospitals into nursing homes, uh, which led to a wide scale death. Uh, uh, and uh, so, as I say again, the same way Michelle Obama and others called people out for their support of Trump, and there needs to be a reckoning, you know, maybe the people there needs to be a reckoning on the part of the liberal media for how they covered up for Cuomo all these years. There was while Trump was in office, Hunter Biden didn't have a laptop. All of a sudden, he had a laptop afterwards. Uh, d- d- during Trump's during the time Trump was in office, Cuomo was a hero. He's gone. People can look at it more honestly. You know, you can blame that on a lot of things. Uh, the liberals who allowed themselves to get into Trump derangement syndrome and therefore anything they could use to uh, hurt Trump or help his political opponents would be done no matter what. And they could ignore what was obvious and they could uh, uh, conceal what would, uh, uh, you know, they could conceal the, uh, the flaws in their, uh, in their outlook. They would deny the flaws in the FBI investigation with Carter Page and the FISA warrants, a whole bunch, a whole slew of things happened. I understand. You know, I I, I guess one of my cautious is on the Rivad. The Rivad in the Shara Kedusha speaks about how important it is to have the proper intent uh, during the the beautiful and, and holy acts that bring people into this world. And I'm wondering, Mario Cuomo, was it like a tzaddik, right? Mario, Mario Cuomo, Cuomo was a great guy. Yeah, it was a, right. I remember his speech at the Democratic Convention. This was a person I don't think you could find these type of uh, scandals about him. He was a three-term, was a two or three-term governor, and uh, he, he was really, yeah. he was really in many ways such a, an incredible person in terms of his. I remember hearing him speak community. to a Jewish audience where he talked about his days as a Shabbos guy. Which is a ploy many New York Jews, uh, you know. Right, right, right. I think Al Gore, Al Gore talked about that as well, right? Yeah, they they love saying, oh, I was a Shabbos guy and everyone laughs. It's very funny. Right. I understand. But my point is that where did this child come from? Mario Cuomo was a real from Catholic. He was really a a, a believer in God. Okay, so what happened here? According to the Rivet, parents who are in that Madrid are going to produce children with good mitos. How does Andrew, as a very young man, was introduced (laughs) to the hallways of power. He was his father's uh, aide while he was governor. He had, he was a cabinet secretary uh, after that in Washington under Obama. And uh, so this the, is uh, nature. This is nature versus nurture. In other words, he should have. I don't know what Mrs. Cuomo was like, but in, g- genetically, he should have been a, a, a great public servant based on who his dad was and the, and the type of character his dad had. Yeah. And yet, the the person, uh, you know, other than his name. How his father is not shepping nachas in whatever Gan Eden for Hasidi Umasa there are. He's not shepping nachas from this. Uh, So, listen, nothing about Cuomo has been alleged that's as egregious as Weinstein or Epstein, but uh, it's uh, there's some bad stuff there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Correct. But again, even had absent all those allegations from the 11 women, everyone has known for years what a bully and a tyrant. He was in, in, you know, behind closed doors and and, and how he and how he, uh, you know, navigated political life. But, uh, you know, uh, he was given a free pass and he was not only given a free pass, but he was uh, 
celebrated as this great COVID hero when in fact it was the reverse. And uh, and all along he was uh, he was doing some unsavory things. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But again, what's well? Well, anyway, I'm happy that uh, uh, that you have uh, washed your hands of your uh, of your job uh, treating Cuomo. Let's talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're gonna have to use a lot of uh, hand sanitizer for that. Um, let me ask you something. You know, you come, you came back from Eretz Yisrael. Um, here, it seems like every, it seems like every single Jewish outlet, whether it was the Forward, whether it was any of the local Jewish papers, I didn't check Mishpocha Nami and some of the other magazines, but everybody was ice cream crazy. I mean, you couldn't help but it was again BDS, Ben and Jerry. Um, uh, let's go out there. I I did a program. One second. Let me just say, I did a program uh, about this, and I'm going to just put my two cents here just for a second. And I talked about how I thought that you, that the Chavke should not lift uh, the Hashgacha. That would be totally the wrong move, halachically and, 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 and politically. And people called me up and said, what? Would you, how bad if there was a, a, a company that the leaders were Nazis? Would you also give them the Hashgacha? And this man is someone I, I respect as a very, you know, well-intentioned, even-keeled person. Is is there what's going on over here? I mean, you obviously are probably hearing it as well. I know that they probably uh, sell that ice cream up in Canada. Maybe they call it the Benoit Jerry, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it's up there, right? I'm sure there's some sort of, you know, Montreal. Yeah, we have Ben and Jerry's here. I'll tell you. Listen, I. You know, so I kind of sympathize with the people who think the Hashkacha should be removed. I kind of, I, again, I don't think it, it uh, let me just step back from the Chav K for a minute. I, you and I remember when Sabra restaurant opened in Reicherstown <laughs> and Rabbi Heinemann insisted that the waitresses dress sneezely. You remember this whole thing when we were kids? Um, I, I do remember sneaking out to the Sabra and, and that was the only way we could get a decent deal. <laughs> right. You remember when the canteen meal. in the dormitory brought in Sabra food? You remember those days? Um, yes, yes. I think I might. Still anyway, I, might, so I, I think there the might be still a bill outstanding. A bill is outstanding. <laughs> is the hashkacha about anything other than the food? Right. Is there hashkacha on the skirt length of the waitress? And so it's a similar yet different question. <laughs> in other words, is it just about the food or is it about other policies? Right. Should there be an OU on a restaurant? Would Hooters get an OU, right? I mean, would, would, is, would that be appropriate? Yeah, um, I have a response to that. And I'll, I'll tell you what I, what I think. And, I, right. and I'm, I'm on the record for it. My son-in-law uh, gave me a little bit of, uh, you know, he didn't rake me over the coals, but he wondered if I was consistent. Look, I think that if the Hashgacha leads to a Dover Osur, I'm going to speak halachically now. If the Hashgacha leads to directly a Dover Osir on the part of the persons who are relying on it, then they should not do the, the, the Hashgacha should be lifted. Uh-huh. But if it happens to give money to a institution that their owners are doing things that you find abhorrent or you find are not according to the spirit of helping Medina Yisrael, then that's different. So I, I there, you're right. I would say if, if it's about Hooters, say, look, it could be the the, the sandwiches that these that, that the waitresses are offering. Although I'm not sure people are interested in the sandwiches, but the sandwiches that the waitresses are offering there are kosher. But we're not getting involved because that sort of gives a sense that we think this is a place that should be um, uh, that, that should patronize. I mean, should should the OU give Ashkafa to a restaurant? that has illegal immigrants working in the kitchen. Okay. 
So that's already closer. Or let's talk about what I talked about on my program, which is what um, you know Avi Weiss's uh, seminary, uh, Shmuel Yankowitz, uh, in the uh, you know the Chovave, they came up with I guess it was Uri Lutzed an ethical kashrus, yes, right. Where the, you know places should should the OU uh, be you know given... there's a sugya there's a sugya in in, in, in Shas. I would have called it not a sugya. Well, let, me just, let me let me just explain again. This is for people who might be listening who don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm sure they chapped it. In other words, uh, a a a where the procedures in order to get the meat processed. Uh, mean that the animals are raised and treated in what we would call an inhumane way and 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 would probably be called Tsar Balichayim. Right. So how could you give a hashkocha on Tsar right, Balichayim? Bali that's, that's a really, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important question. I would say that certain people have are completely unaware of a concept in the Gemara called Mexico Yehuga, uh, where you don't flamboyantly put on display your, your virtue and your piety. And there are people who apparently are completely uh, unaware that that concept exists. And uh, they insist that no matter what good thing they do, they need to post it on Facebook. And I don't want to mention names, but although you mentioned his name, and, um, and I don't want to, uh, you know, and that, that's, you know, it's excessive virtue signaling. However, I, you know, I've been in schlachtweises, you've been in schlachtweises. None of the cows that have been shechted ever complained. So I don't know what the issue is. These all seem perfectly happy to me. However, in a serious note, I have seen how veal is raised. And even the terminology of vocabulary used by the farmers, they talk not about raising the, the calf and slaughtering the calf. They talk about harvesting. They turn a bachai into, into a tzemeach. They really do the way they raise them. And, and that's sarbali chayim. Whether that impacts, whether someone should give a shkocha to that, that's a fascinating question. And I understand I can see both sides of it. You know, kashrus is simply is a meat kosher. You know, whether, you know, it's a mitzvah baba veda in a colloquial sense. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I mean, I, I, mean the, I don't know if that would deny Ashkach is what I'm saying. The, you know, Halacha did speak about, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but you're a Frenchie now. Was it faux gras? Where they stuff the, gras, yeah, the chocolate, gras, yeah, how yeah, they pop the ducks with the geese. right, and the halacha speaks about whether you're allowed to do that on Shabbos or not. The Ramos speaks about how they would have to stuff the, and they were used to it already, and they became sort of like addicts to it. So on Shabbos, you would be allowed to sort of like violate or not care about Hilchas Mukta in order to be able to stuff the animal right, uh, right. W- with its food. So you see, really, this was going on for years, right, right. where basically an animal was treated, as you say, although it, it was somewhat a, a sentient, nice little goose, but it was basically being stuffed to the point that they would be able to harvest its liver. And this was, again, obviously, this was a less, maybe a less enlightened time uh, in terms of knowledge of, 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 of pain. I think the Rambam would give you an argument about that, but um, still, uh, this has been again. If if if, if a kashrus company is supposed to be uh, have expertise in halacha and apply halacha in a, 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 a humane, sane way, um, you're right. Again, it's it's very hard to know where to draw the line. I think we can all conceive of scenarios where it's obvious they shouldn't have hashkafa, right? And we can all conceive of areas where it's taking it. Too far. Let's say, uh, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, a restaurant uh, won't allow a union in. I don't think anyone would say that that's a reason to deny a shkacha. Um, but you know, although maybe some would, but I don't think that's reasonable. But 
there's a lot of gray area. I mean, it's, it's a tough question. It's a tough question about should kashas be about any other issue, even Jewish issue, besides kosher. Uh, one of the things that I was given a little bit of um, heat about was a, a statement that I made a number of years ago about if there was a pizza shop or a falafel stand right off the Vegas Strip um, and they right. wanted to open there, um, should a kashas organization... Uh, and, and it's not that in the in the pizza stand, there would be um, uh, the type of uh, excesses that you see uh, in, in the casinos, but it would be right there. Would that be something that should be encouraged? Um, uh, I'll tell you what, I want to hear what you say first. What do you say? I would allow it 100 percent. In other words, there are thousands of Jews who go to, to conventions in Vegas for business purposes at the electronic show, the fashion, whatever show it is, they're there all the time. And they need to eat kosher food. I don't have a problem with that. Uh-huh. Not everyone who's in Vegas is there to do an evade. Okay. I, I agree. It, it happens to be the reality that the only, you know, these shows happen in Vegas and you have to go there. Um, why do you need a kosher pizza stand though? Why can't you bring <laughs> in your... Okay, you know what? What did we do beforehand, uh, Rabbi Pupko, you and I, when our parents took us on our quote-unquote vacations? We, we had, had a can of tuna. Cans of tuna, exactly. Cans of tuna, some peanut butter. Uh, we were able to find some bread from some place, yeah. right? Crackers. Okay. So there doesn't, a, you know, I could hear an argument, and I made this argument, although I've been, like I said, people have, have, have given me grief for it, that, and I, I think my principle holds true. By giving the Sashkocha, you are actually increasing the amount of people that are going to Vegas, maybe unnecessarily. And, 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 and I, that to me is too far removed from the food. I, I don't have a problem. Okay, I, you know what? But, it, but there, I, 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 I would not personally, if I was approached, I'd say, look, if you're three miles off the strip, that's one thing. There's a, there's a, there used to be one of the most grown, uh, you know, uh, pr- progressive in terms of size, growing communities in the United States was in Vegas in terms of Jewish people moving there. That's I mean, fine. outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's the only real city that was built by Jews. Yes, yes, we talked about him, and of course, yeah. him and him and him and Rav Meyer. But we yeah. talked. But 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 the point is, is that. Yeah, there I see it close to it because by having this thing, people say, "Yeah, look, All right. listen." Right, I, but I, but I, let's talk about Ben and Jerry's. What's your feeling about? Okay, ben okay. And Here's the thing I would say about Ben and Jerry's is that this is another example of the complete moral collapse of the left. So you want to penalize uh, the state of Israel because of what reason? Because why? Because they won wars rather than allow themselves to be destroyed. You want to penalize Israel because they only offered 98% of the West Bank to the Palestinians and 100% of Gaza. In contrast to China, which you aren't boycotting, which hasn't offered 0.1% of Tibet to the Tibetans. You haven't penalized the Turks for occupying northern Cyprus. I mean, the whole thing is so bizarre. The Chinese for killing enslaving in 1.5 million uh, uh, Uyghur Muslims. I mean, it's just so bizarre that the most enlightened country in the Middle East, the most democratic country in the Middle East, the most liberal country in the Middle East, the country that most reflects the values of Ben and Jerry's in terms of gay rights and women's rights and concern for the environment and everything else. um, That's the country you want to penalize? In other words, it's hard not to call it anti-Semitic. It's hard because it follows the pattern of anti-Semites throughout the centuries 
who hold up the Jew as the threat to their lifestyle or values and, uh, and, and see Israel as, as a threat to those values, when in fact nothing can be further from the truth. It's the inversion of the truth. And uh, it's an egregious wrong. I, you know, when, it, when the Ben and Jerry's thing came up and they, boy, and they wanted to boycott East Jerusalem, what they call East Jerusalem or what they call the West Bank, uh, although we're doing business with the rest of Israel. Um, you know, part of me said, you know, why do we care after, I think I've said this before, um, Israel is a strong and powerful independent country. Uh, why does Israel, why should Jews care what Ben and Jerry said? And the answer in response to me is, well, if, if Ben and Jerry is going to do it, it may be a harbinger of a movement that needs to be confronted, you know, immediately. I, you know, and I, I can say that. There, there have been other, there's probably been other companies that we, that flew under the radar. Uh, I, I think part of what you said is the reason why Ben and Jerry's, again, I, I'm just saying this. Because it's they, a well-known brand. No it's, a, it's a well-known brand. It's got two Jewish owners that people knew about. As you say, it was always, you know, profits were being given to the various causes. And they, we're different than, you know, the Briars and all the other giant brands where you, you buy us, right. you're, you're getting, you're getting something that you, we're real human beings. We're not just some sort of, uh, you know, great machine uh, that's just there for profits. I think that's part of the reason why. Um, yeah, listen, it's a brand everyone's familiar with. Many people have in their freezers at home. It's, but again, it is a, I'll leave aside the Jewish response for a moment. And just want to talk about their decision. Their decision is, is highly corrupt. It's a corrupt decision. It's a corrupt way of looking at Israel, a depraved way of looking at the world. It is, it, it, it is a morally bankrupt decision. Now, the question is, how do Jews respond? You know, should we say, you know, we don't care what you think. We do not care. We will survive with haagen and Baskin-Robbins and whatever local brands we have. We can survive as Jews in the state of Israel. doesn't need Ben & Jerry's, the validation, you know, the, 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 the sticks and stones. It means nothing to us what you say. We've been around for a long time. We'll continue to be around. Uh, since BDS started, foreign investment in Israel has not doubled, tripled, or quadrupled, but quintupled. Uh, you can't turn on your cell phone or your laptop or walk into an emergency room without using Israeli technology. We all know that. And, um, and, and therefore, you know, you, know, you know, instead of reacting with anger, to react with disdain. That's, that's possible. But again, there is a solid counter-argument which says we got to stop this, you know, immediately. But I think that part of the reaction, I fear, I suspect that part of the reaction by the by Jews in America and elsewhere and by Israelis is that there lingers in the Jewish consciousness from all the centuries of diaspora the desperate desire to be loved. And uh, and I think that Ben and Jerry's boycott meant that we aren't loved by a brand we like and i think that's what bothered people and uh and i fear that's what drives some of the reaction is that we are we remain too desperate to be loved and i don't i don't need listen you see this all the time i mean you know yama shoah events in north america always celebrate a righteous gentile and there are a couple of really bad reasons to do it and some good reasons to do it uh the bad reason to do it is 
I think what drives part of it is the Jewish desire to say, look, not everybody hated me. The good reason to do it is to repudiate those who say, well, we couldn't have done it. You know, which puts that in a negative light. But for Jew, for some Jews, the righteous Gentile is celebrated, you know, you know, for Holocaust heroism in a desperate effort to say, look, somebody likes me. And I, and, and that to me is disturbing. And, uh, it's, yeah. and, and I think that's, that's a part of what drove the Ben and Jerry's reaction. You know, I would, you know, uh, you know, the revisionist movement, the Beitar movement, talked about a concept that has been forgotten, which is Hadar, Jewish dignity, Jewish dignity. And does Jewish dignity demand you react to Ben and Jerry's or ignore Ben and Jerry's? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I have to say my, my tendency is to ignore um, and to realize that it's unfortunate. I mean, when when Ben and Jerry wrote their op-ed uh, for the New York Times, I'm sure you read it. Yes. Uh, when they described themselves as proud Jews and supporters of Israel, and that they, I think they also said that they are not uh, supporters of the BDS movement, right? I think right. They, they, said that. they said that. Okay, look, they are misguided. We know there's J Street. We know there's a lot of left-wing Jewish liberals that are just like that. And let's try to change everybody. But I think to rice Kriya on Ben and Jerry or to write, put it this way, there's so so much ink was spilled over it. You know, it, you would have thought that this was like one of the you know, the right. great the great tragedies of 2021. I, I, I'll say- no, But like, I'll tell you one thing. Even if we might be ambivalent about the reaction, one thing is clear, though, and I have to give the people who led the movement to respond and react, and according to some overreact, but react, it has certainly put, it has, it, it will certainly in the future give people pause, companies pause before they do this, because okay. many states are investigating them. So that's an important thing. Okay, you know, let, let me respond to, in, in two ways to that. The first thing is, if I'm not a Jewish person and I'm reading what's what's, what's in the press and I'm reading how it, and it was front page news, I think, even in, in, in many of the, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, what I'm saying is, boy, don't don't mess with the Jews, man. They've got so right. much power. Right. And, and and part of it is saying, oh, boy, I got I got to be careful there. They are this insidious, you know, powerful snake. Well, that could, that's a negative spin on it. But you might be right there. I mean, it's hard to and they're, like, they're, they're, like, like they're jumping over everything. You can't you can't say anything. The other thing I would say is that and, and I read this article in the foreword, a very, uh, very young man um, uh, enlightened me when I read this article. Uh, Arno Rosenberg, I think his name is or Arno Rosenfeld. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name. But I like the article. It was about that in Arkansas, there's actually a a lawsuit uh, that's building that's going to go into, they think it might even go to the Supreme Court, where many states like Arkansas and others, where you have Huckabee and people that were very pro-Israel, they have signed into legislation anti-BDS laws where right. where the state will not give contracts to right. to to private individuals. So at least who, half the states in the U.S. have passed BDA, BDS Anti-BDS legislation. Right. How far they go different is different. Right, right now, right now, which was again, I didn't know how uh, how widespread that was. And the truth, if if I didn't have a horse to play in this game, if I wasn't a Jewish person who loved Eretz Yisrael and Medina's Yisrael, I would say, boy, that sounds weird. You know, that you have to have this. You no, know, it's being play. challenged on freedom of speech grounds. 
Yeah. Uh, but again, the, the, the legislation has been tailored in a way to avoid, they think that's right. right. Which they say, they, they talk about all the legal trickery in order to sort of allow it to still exist in some fashion. Right, I don't that... know if it's trickery, but nuance, let's say. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, good. I'm not such a nuanced person yeah. as you are. But he, he, the point, though, is, is that doesn't that seem again like, look, it's it, 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 it's it's ugly. It's terrible. This BDS thing. There's a sinus Israel, and I, it's not just anti-Israel. It is there is anti-Semitism there. But when we, you know, you know, foist into these state legislators, legislatures, uh, these laws, um, doesn't it seem like we are sort of like playing a, a pretty, you know, po- political trick as well? What do you think? I don't. I don't think so. I think that uh, there's ample precedent. Uh, in, in America, uh, in, in legal history, of taking a stance against boycotts. So this isn't, you know. So it, I, I'm not concerned about that. No, I, I don't think. I don't think anything we do triggers anti-Semitism. No, I don't think that. Uh, it's there. I anyway. think our existence <laughs> triggers anti-Semitism. Okay, but 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 it seems so contrived. In other words, BDS is terrible. So what we're going to do is create, you know, uh, you know, laws that you know you need to uh, take the uh, you take the loyalty pledge that i am not a bdser and if i do bds you know i i'm not going to uh, listen to all these most of these laws simply say that the state will not contract with businesses that boycott israel that's what most of the laws that i'm familiar with uh articulate that you can't uh, you know if you're a company if you're caterpillar or whoever and you and you're boycotting israel we're, we're not going to give you a government contract um, I think in the Arkansas thing, they had to actually, you know, own up and they had to say that they, you know, they had to give a pledge or right, something. Right, it's on like the form for government contracts. I do not participate in the boycott against Israel. Right, right, and that that's that was the freedom yeah. of speech in question. And again, it's it, it, it definitely speaks to how ugly the BDS movement is. I'm just not sure if the reactions that we're having, um, like you say, it, it sort of goes against the the toughness, the sabra toughness, and the fact that we believe in the Rabbi Shalom, who's going to, you know, push us through. Um, we, you know, the, the fundamentalist Christians who love us will still love us. And, you know, the companies, I guess, you know, it's tr- trying to force people with the yeah. velvet glove. I don't know if it actually works that well. I mean, it, it, again, Israel advocacy, anti the apartheid state, libel anti-bds which is what too often israel advocacy is there's only against bds it's against the 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 idea of apartheid state israel advocacy has to catch up a little bit with the new dynamic which is not so much legal not so much political not so much pr but a cultural battle where people are inclined to think of those who possess power as being morally dubious those who are powerless as being morally virtuous. And that, if you have, if you've embraced that prism through which you see the world, you know, critical race theory and all that other stuff, intersectionality, you will be inclined to think very negatively of Jews and particularly of the state of Israel. And, um, and I'll go even further than that. The Jews on the left who have embraced much of that at world outlook who are part of that culture they believe strongly that it is the actions of the state of israel which triggers modern anti-semitism you know when it's you know we always yell and scream why doesn't the left call out their own anti-semites why doesn't you know raskin in congress go against rashida Tlaib? you know the stuff she said last week horrible stuff about you know comparing detroit and gaza 
and the people behind the veil controlling both. I mean, horrible stuff, anti-Semitic stuff. Why doesn't the left call out its own? And it's not just because of partisan loyalties they don't call it their own, is they believe that Jews deserve left-wing anti-Semitism. They believe that. And when Kenneth Roth of Human Rights Watch tweets a couple of weeks ago, as he did, where the statistics of hate crimes during the Gaza uh, conflict you know, came out and how many anti-Israel, anti-Semitic acts had happened, he tweeted and he said, look, Israel causes anti-Semitism. That was his response. He actually said it openly. Now, I happen to be more you know, familiar with this long before because I remember speaking in an Israel demonstration and afterwards confronting the Jew across the street who was anti-Israel, turning to me and saying, thank you for creating anti-Semitism. They believe, the Jewish leftists believe that we deserve left-wing anti-Semitism. That's why they're silent about it. Because they believe left-wing anti-Semitism is, exists because of Israel. Listen, Bernie Sanders, who is in many ways the archetype of all of this Michigan, when he was running for president, not this last time, the time before, 2016, in the primaries against Hillary, and he was speaking at a gathering in Manhattan, an anti-Semite raised his hand and said, Mr. Sanders, what are you going to do about Jewish control of the banks? Now, every politician in North America knows how to answer that question, which is, we don't tolerate that kind of talk at my gatherings. Next question. That's all I have to say. No one's asking him to defend anybody. Just, you don't tell, you know, move on. What did he say? This is a quote. He said, that's not what you're asking. That's not what you mean to ask. And then paused and said, and even though I defend the state of Israel, the Palestinians also have rights. Explain to me how that is a sequitur. I, I remember, you know, you've mentioned this before, and you know, of course, Bernie. Am I is, repeating myself? Because I've never done that before. Yes, you know, Bernie. Write yes, down the time and date of this, because I've never. Yes, done yes. It. Well, I'm not going to delete. I'm not going to delete it from the program, so people should know how doddering, <laughs> how you're losing your mind. But Bernie, you know, you know, Bernie uh, is a good friend, I think, with uh, Ben and Jerry. I think they're, you know, I think they're all. There, there are these Vermont, there are these Jewish expatriates from New York who went up to Vermont and, uh, you know, developed what they could. So it's not surprising. And again, you know, Bernie is a, is a tragedy in its own right. Um, and I'll tell you something else the left is, hasn't been cognizant of, completely oblivious to. And I'll, and I'll forgive them, and I'll be forgiving when I speak about it by calling it an unintended consequence. Here's what people don't understand. The unintended consequence of seeing the world through this whole equity thing instead of equality of opportunity, but equality of result has been the following, that African-Americans are targeting Asians, Americans, Asian-Americans and hate crimes. And let's be blunt and honest, at least here, about who's perpetrating those crimes. The African-American assaults on Jews that have continued over the last few years, it's it's triggered because if you teach people that that a result that is not reflective of equity means that it's racist, that means those who are perceived to have a disproportionately large piece of the American pie and success, Jews and Asians, are therefore the emblems of racism. And they must have used or exploited this systemic racism to achieve what they've achieved. The unintended consequence of critical race theory is putting, the, putting a target on the back of Asian Americans and Jewish Americans. By saying, look, these people are the ones who have benefited from the systemic racism disproportionately, exploited it, used it, and are reflective of it. So, <laughs> and, and no one is blaming the left for triggering this violence. The violence against Asian Americans wasn't triggered by uh, Trump yelling, you know, Wuhan flu. 
<coughs> the violence against Asian Americans has been triggered by the left screaming any result that is not completely the same is evidence of racism. A hundred percent. Today is uh, we're, we're talking today. Uh, we're recording today, of course, on the yurt site of one of my heroes, and I know someone that uh, means a lot to you as well. I share his name, although I wasn't named after him. Of course, it's Rav Avram Yitzchok, Hakoyen Kuk Zecher Tzadik Vikodosh Vrocha, and uh, you know Gimel Elul is always. Uh, for the Kuknicks, a time to reflect about how Rav Cook's vision and his writings and his ideas uh, need to be thought about and, and, and impacted. I can tell you one thing, you know, we know that um, Rav Cook was very aware of how dependent we were on uh, the, the, the general goodwill of the various countries, England and others, but he always retained um, a sense of pride. I mean, when the Balfour Declaration was issued, he said, Ashrecha England, that you have a big schuss now. Instead of, you know, getting down on his knees and saying, thank you so much, England. Right. You know, he, 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 he gave a speech and he said, you know, you have a great schuss. You know, England, God has given you this schuss. He spoke, in other words, authentically. He wasn't, he didn't, you know, he was very anti-politics, Rav Kook Satsal. He was very um, skeptical. You know, people who think that Rav Kook and the Zionist movement are, are, are one and the same really don't, have not read Rav Kook properly and have used him. I will say that, uh, you know, Rav Kook, before he went there at Yisrael, was a student in the yeshiva that my fa- grandfather was Zoha to be part of in its latter, latter new stage, Voloshin. And we know that um, people would think with his brilliance that he would be attracted to Rav Chaim Brisker because, you know, Rav Kook is, 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 is quicksilver in terms of his mind. You can see that in his chuvas, how he's so... But he was actually more attracted to Rav Chaim's uh, wife's grandfather, the Nitziv. Right. Uh, and as much as Rav Chaim tried to get Rav Kook as this, you know, young man, not that much different from him in age, to be in a sheer and to love the type of brilliant things that Rav Chaim was saying, Rav Kook felt an affinity towards the Nitziv. And I, I think the Nitziv, as you know, has an essay, which I know you're very familiar with. It was printed in the back of Shir Hashirim called Sher Yisrael. And in this essay, which, which he alludes to in some other places, he talks about anti-Semitism and he talks about what it, what, what, what it is developed from. And he uses the sources in Chazal. It doesn't necessarily sound so easy for us to hear with our modern ears. But Natsiv says it comes from our desire to turn ourselves into clones or versions of Gentile non-Jewish virtue. And when we do that, we actually create more hatred. In other words, the more we are ourselves, the more we can be who we're supposed to be, the less anti-Semitism, he says, is God's message to us. To, to to realize that you are going to fail, and and all attempts, of course, all attempts to try to ingratiate ourselves with that zeitgeist are are not going to work. If anything, it'll be the reverse. It'll right. be the reverse, and therefore he feels that this is all part of the pattern that we need to own up to. I I don't remember Rav Cook Zatzal, you know, embracing this, but I think that that idea that we saw from the Mitzvah is type of thing that was one of the reasons why, you know, <laughs> Rav Cook understood that the Nitziv was a visionary. Right. I think, of course, he, he took it perhaps even steps beyond. So, so I, think it, I, I think that's an important point that, that, that we need to remember. And sometimes people like yourself 
who, who many people see as a, a great spokesman for uh, our cause, because um, uh, but we have to realize that you and I, I don't have to tell you because you do it all the time. We have to hold firm about what makes us us right. and, 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 and not, you know, not, not, <laughs> not start quivering into jelly, as you say, because the Goyim don't like us and because we are now considering anti-Semites and we can't even pull our hair out. I believe over, you know, all the, the you know, all the canards and, 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 and things, you know, the screeds and other things that are being written. I, I think the more uh, we... you said it very well, and I, I and it's really hard for people who aren't who don't live a live a life that's where Torah is at the center, where if that's not your Judaism and your Jewish identity is based on other things or, or on diluted things, the, the the desperation, the desperation to fit in, the desperation to you know curry favor. That is an unfortunate, you know, strain in Jewish history. And listen, I mean, if World War II proved anything, is that assimilating doesn't work because the Holocaust didn't start in a shtetl. started in Berlin. And it started where Jews were assimilated and integrated and intermarried. And that's where it started. And, uh, and there's no question that uh, we have never succeeded. In, in in the pursuit of that, we never, you know, it never works the curring favor. Number two, it disfigures us. It really does disfigure us. It uh, in ways that uh, have really proved highly, highly self destructive, and uh, and we continue to exhibit some of those tendencies. Uh, you know, when different conflicts come up, and where we assume on our shoulders the responsibility to reach out to critics and you know i mean is we 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 don't we don't learn as as much from history as we should and yeah, uh, you know you know rough cooks at said that uh, and i'm sorry for going on so long about it but he is you know i i can't help but to try to to bring him to the table rough cook said in that many times when there's something that that seems to be a threat to our values and it's gaining power and it seems to be everywhere. He said there is a tendency, which he saw in many of his Haredi friends and people that he was connected to, uh, like the Ridvaz and others, to duck, to duck under it. And but he, he actually felt that if we meet these things with uh, not just perseverance and strength, we could actually uplift it and change it. Yeah. We can actually take uh, those positive things at it. And 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 and, and I would say. You know, um, we could talk about uh, something that I saw in, in today's paper. I don't know if you saw it. Um, this this chief justice in Australia. Did you see this? This fellow, no. this, this uh, Rabbi Market, I think is. Um, what was the story? Yes, uh, you know, Rabbi Marcus Solomon. He became the first Orthodox rabbi and he, he runs a shul. Uh, and he teaches in the Carmel School, and he's a Supreme Court judge in Australia. Without uh, sacrificing an iota, you look at him. Ayid mitabort, right? Ayid mitabort as as eitos, you know, mitzuras yisrael. That you know, and, and those things create a tremendous kiddush Hashem. I'm sure, right? And we'll talk about um, uh, the you've heard about Bidi uh, Deutsch, of course, right? Right. The 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 the. The marathon runner, you know, that she was able to, uh, you know, in the most in the sneeze of her of her clothing and, and still 
coming in, you know, winning first place, I think, and, and many of the marathons, the top. You know, they say she trained in Milmart. <laughs> running after the, the Kishka was the. Yeah, in, in Passaic. But that's how point, her running career began. It was yeah, running uh, right. But, you know, again, she, I think she was, uh, she, she, she petitioned the Olympics to be. Um, right, right. To be allowed running on Sunday or something. Right. Forget. Because she felt that, you know, she couldn't run on Shabbos because the marathon, mm-hmm. of course, closes the, I think it's one of the closing events in the Olympics on Shabbos, or at least they're, they're qualifying. Um, I guess, look, my point is, is that we, we don't have to revert to a, a completely closed position. We can stand firm about who we are and, and, and be out there producing, you know, those type of heroes, those people who are out Absolutely. there. And, and, but again, and to shape sadly and sadly, Jews still want to be loved. Sadly and sadly, Jews want to be accepted. And we, sh- we should, and that's not something we should go, you know, there are Jews who go out of their way not to be accepted, but we should just be true to ourselves, be true to the Torah, be true to who we are, not hide it, not conceal it, not change it not disfigure it if we live the right way we will always win always all right well we're gonna have to try to figure out a uh some sort of ice cream flavor for ourselves i don't know what we what we're gonna call it um some sort of flavor that sort of represents uh i our, think our we should have a bucha flavored ben and jerry's pacha pacha yeah. flavor yeah or that's uh, what the word that's what the consumers demanded Yes, yes. But I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, but now that that vacuum is there, maybe we could be, you know, you know, Abe, Abe and Ralph. You know what I'm saying? There you go. Maybe, yeah, Abe. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that's definitely a career. You know, the Abe and Ralph company, and we could. Uh, you know, yes, we should. We should leap into the void left behind by. Yes, investigation of Ben and Jerry's. Yes, yes, and I think you know, like you say, I, I think herring flavors are definitely you know yeah. on, on the rise. That yeah, yeah. why not? The why world not? needs a pacha flavored ice cream. Yes, yes, and um, gribelach, a gribelach flavor, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I, I think. Look, the, the, it's out there for us. Let's try to. We'll try to capture it. Grab the brass ring. <laughs> before it melts in our hand take care everybody <laughs> be well bye thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode